0: you're listening to audio from trinity west seattle for other resources more information about this sermon series or to connect with us visit our website www.trinityws.com good morning church my name is kirsten and i will be reading from matthew 9 9 through 13 I would say stand for the reading of God's word, but you already are. As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at a tax booth, and he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as Jesus reclined at table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard it, he said, Those who are well have no need for a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. The word of the Lord. You may be seated.
1: Thanks, Kirsten. I'm going to pray as we get ready. Father God, thank you for this word. Thank you for this story. Thank you for Jesus calling Matthew to follow you so that we can see the way that you invite even the outsider in. We pray that your word today would transform us to do the same, help us to be a kind of community that invites outsiders in, no matter who they are or their background or what they're about, God, but help us to reflect Jesus, we pray in your name, Jesus, amen. I'd like to start by supposing some bad news. You're like, let's not say we did. No, let's suppose some bad news. And uh, the bad news is you have cancer. Okay? No one wants that diagnosis, obviously. In fact, we might like to avoid hearing that news. We might plug our ears or, you know, put our head in the sand. We might avoid going to our annual physical just to avoid getting a diagnosis like that one. But let's suppose some good news as well. And it goes along with that news. Your cancer is not only treatable, but there is a 100% chance of recovery if treated. Sounds good, right? Wouldn't you want to know? Wouldn't you want to receive the diagnosis if that were the case? You know, we, we hear that phrase, the first step in solving a problem is recognizing that it exists. And you can't be healed if you don't treat the cancer, but you can't treat the cancer if you don't get the diagnosis. And this is what Jesus is going to address today. Not the bad news of cancer, but the bad news of a diagnosis that all of us as human beings have in common, and that is our sin sickness. We all sin. We... uh, We all are helpless to eradicate sin from our lives, and the only way to do something about it is to accept the diagnosis and then come to the great physician for that treatment that he would give us, and his treatment is 100% effective. That's the good news. So the big idea we're going to see in the text today is that we are sin-sick but we find healing in the great physician. Let's look at this more closely. Let's begin with verse 9. As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, Follow me. And he rose and followed him. All right, where does this story take place? It says Jesus passed on from there, but where is there? Last week we saw Jesus had come from the other side of the lake of Galilee, and, and he came to this town called Capernaum in a boat. And you can still visit this town today. It's a real place. And once Jesus was in Capernaum, he, he showed his authority, we saw last week, by forgiving and healing the paralytic. You might remember that story. And now here we're, we're introduced to a new character, and his name is Matthew. Matthew. You might be like, hmm, that name sounds really familiar, right? <laughs> yes, this is the same guy who is the author of this book. It's it's kind of funny, you know, he's talking in the third person, and it almost feels like Alfred Hitchcock making a cameo in one of his films, you know, it's it's kind of like, whoa, what is going on, Matthew? And, and it has led some people to think, well, maybe Matthew isn't the author of this gospel. But we know from church history that Matthew is the author of this gospel. In fact, he shows up in all of the gospels, and in Mark and Luke's gospels, Matthew shows up as a guy named Levi, but it's the same guy. And Matthew appears here to include himself in the third-person character. I mean, probably first off, because it'd be strange to all of a sudden shift to first person. But on top of that, this book, I would think Matthew would say, this book is primarily about Jesus, not him. And I think it's an act of humility, the way that Matthew tells his story. It's a way of him showing, yes, this is what Jesus did in my life, and it's really about him. See, Matthew was a tax collector, and tax collectors were considered absolutely despicable. Not like IRS auditors or something like we have in our culture. That's what we think of when we think of a tax collector. But these guys were way, way worse because they were partnering with the oppressive Roman government. Tax collectors were seen as traitors. And to make matters worse, most of them used their office as a way of forcing people to personally give them more money on top of what was owed, on top of what was required of them, which inevitably made the collector more rich and the poor even poorer. So these people, I mean, these are like the guys who beat up old ladies while they're walking them across the street. You know what I'm saying? These guys are at the very lowest of the low, and of course, they were hated severely. It was plain to see, for everyone around them, it was plain to see their sin sickness. Everybody knew about it. Jesus knew about it, and yet, he calls Matthew, he invites him to follow him. And with this Matthew becomes one of Jesus's inner 12 disciples. He eventually becomes one of the apostles, and what we know through church history is that Matthew went through an incredible transformation. Now, what we don't know is whether or not Matthew kept his tax booth open. You know, did he keep on collecting taxes? We just don't know but for matthew to keep his tax booth open and follow jesus at the same time for him to enter into the upside down kingdom and remain a tax collector he would need to do what the prophet john the baptist had said in luke chapter 3 where he, these tax collectors came to him to be baptized and john tells them te- or they say to him sorry to john teacher what shall we do and john says to them collect no more than you are authorized to do. And then all the tax collectors, they turned to John and they said, I don't like that diagnosis, John. (laughs) That hurts my feelings, right? Uh, If Jesus accepts me as I am, then he must allow me to remain as I am. No, that's not what they say. See, the tax collectors were radically accepted but they were also radically expected to change. And likewise, sinners who come to Jesus are radically accepted. His arms are wide open, but we are also radically expected to change. If we are to follow the great physician, we must not only receive the diagnosis, but the treatment. And his treatment includes removing sin From our outward actions, from what anyone else can see, like these tax collectors were just commanded to do by John the Baptist, but it's not limited to our outward actions. It's not superficial. The great physician, he comes and and he gets down into the the joints and the marrow, the Bible says. He, He digs deep down into our hearts because he wants to make us whole. Which is wonderful. We're, we're made whole through him. But there are plenty of people, while that is wonderful, there are plenty of people who still would rather plug their ears. La, 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 la. I don't want the diagnosis. I don't want to hear about it. They'd rather keep their head in the sand. They'd rather live in denial. And some of the worst perpetrators of that action are the people who are self-righteous. And that's who we're introduced to next. Verses 10 and 11. And as Jesus reclined at table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? All right, we have to do a little bit more work here to get some context. Who are the Pharisees? These are the self-righteous people who I just mentioned a minute ago. And we first saw them in Matthew's gospel back in chapter 3, where they came to John the Baptist in a similar fashion as the tax collectors had, and John the Baptist rebuked them and told them that in order to enter the kingdom of heaven, they would have to repent. And of course, they wandered off and said, no way. Now, they're similar to those scribes that we heard about. In last week's story, and these Pharisees were kind of the upper echelon of, of humanity in the Jewish world. They were, they were the strictest sect of Judaism. And it's no wonder that they were self-righteous because they lived in a way that would have widely been considered righteous. They did everything right. They kept all the rules. In fact, they even added extra rules just to make sure that those other rules didn't get broken. But the sinister reality below the surface of their external lives, what everyone else could see, was that deep down they did not love God, and they did not love people. They wanted to rob God of His glory, in fact, by earning people's praise through their right behaviors. And yet, doing the right stuff for the wrong reasons is wrong. Doing the right stuff without loving God or loving people, it's wrong. And so we might ask, okay, but who are the Pharisees of today? Who are the Pharisees of our day? I think that probably the closest modern group that we have in our culture anyway are fundamentalists. Fundamentalist Christians, Christians who believe that by getting our doctrine just Perfect or getting our behavior just right, we will be safe and insulated from all those filthy bad sinners out there. Have you ever encountered a Christianity like this? Unfortunately, of course, self righteousness is not limited to fundamentalist Christians. All Christians are capable of it. In fact, all people are capable of self righteousness. You don't even need to be religious to be full of yourself and believe that you are right in your own eyes. And it is this self-righteousness that prevents so many people from receiving the healing of the great physician. They think to themselves, you might think to yourself, I am well, I'm well, I have no need of a physician. If that's you, friend, I want you to hear Your spiritual cancer is the same cancer that we all have, all of us. But you can't receive the treatment if you don't accept the diagnosis. And in a moment, we'll see that the Pharisees are unable to accept the diagnosis that Jesus gives them. We're going to dig deep into that in a moment. But before we go there, we have to look at one more thing that was in this section that we just read. What are the Pharisees questioning Jesus for doing? They're questioning him for reclining at table, it said. You guys might have read that and gone, like, we got like a bunch of lazy boys in a circle or something. What, what, what are they reclining? What is this thing about? Well, reclining, if you want to just think of it as simply as possible, it's eating. Now, we need a little bit of an illustration here, I think is a bit fun. So, uh, you guys might be familiar with Leonardo da Vinci's famous painting, The Last Supper, Right? And here, this, I don't know what is going on with this version of it. Like, I don't, I, I don't know what they did. They colored it or something. But you get the feel for it. I couldn't find a better version. And, and, and we're used to seeing this picture. We may not think, well, that's historically accurate. That's completely like Leonardo was there, you know, when he made that. We might not think that, but it kind of gets etched into our minds that this is the picture of the Last Supper. It's like Jesus and the disciples in a table all facing, what, like a camera or something, right? <laughs> it's like, what is going on here? But, but in reality, it was probably a lot more like this picture, where there's a table, but it's really, it's just on the ground, and there's a group of people surrounding the table, essentially laying down, sitting down on the ground. And, and I've actually had the opportunity to have a Passover Savior in, in a setting like this, where I'm like laying down the whole time and, you know, eating food. It was quite an experience. But this is what they're talking about. This is, this is uh, what the Pharisees are rebuking, basically rebuking Jesus for. It's for eating with other people like this. So what's the big deal? You might be thinking that. It, what, why, why are they rebuking? Why are they so angry about this? You might think, well, I eat with people all the time, right? I mean, you ever even, you go to a dining room of a fast food restaurant, I know like five of you have ever eaten inside of one, because uh, we just go through the drive through now, but if you've ever eaten in one of those places, there could be quite a mix of people in there, right? Some kind of shady characters at times, and 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 you might think, well, I, I eat around people like that all the time, what's the big deal? Well, this is Very different from that. See, in the Jewish context, sharing a meal was an intimate act. I mean, not too dissimilar from if you had someone over to your house for a meal. There's something intimate about welcoming someone into your home, right? But this was maybe uh, that times ten. It was stepped up a notch because they had all kinds of religious rules and rituals associated with that activity. So, for example, Jews couldn't go and eat with pagan Gentiles because they worshipped other gods, and their food had been sacrificed to those gods. And just being in their presence, just being in their home would kind of, if you can picture, kind of get their idol worship on you, you know, like the filth of their idol worship would get on you, and they called it unclean. It was a way of understanding sin, as we talked about last week, as a pollutant, And so they thought, man, if if sin pollutes, and if I'm around sinners, then I'll get their sin filth on me. I don't want to do that. And so the Pharisees, they question Jesus. But notice what they they do. They don't ask Jesus directly. Perhaps uh, they were outside, But I think more importantly than that, because they probably wouldn't have been inside in this case, because they would have gotten the sin filth on them, right? I think they were probably outside, and they ask his disciples, I think, probably to try and avert talking directly to Jesus. And they refer to Jesus as your teacher, they say, which might even be a pejorative statement, like saying, he's just a teacher, He's not who he just claimed to be a minute ago, the Son of God with all power and authority. He's just a teacher. And so they turn to his disciples and they ask, how can your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Now, we already talked about tax collectors, but now we need to look more closely at sinners. Who are the sinners? Well, this whole message, I've been talking to you about sinners in a much, much more general way than the Pharisees are talking about Sinners. I'm telling, I'm telling you guys, all of us, all of humanity, except for Jesus, are sinners, right? But the, the, the Pharisees had a very specific group of people in mind. The Pharisees would have called sinners anyone who they determined weren't following the rules. So the closest parallel that we might have today is anyone in our society that's deemed to be unacceptable or to behave in an unacceptable way. Uh, this can be in religious communities. This could be outside of a religious community. Any, any kind of societal expectations that forces others out. So I'm sure that's triggering in your mind all kinds of different people. I mean, we could, we could talk about the LGBTQ community. We could talk about the elderly community. We could talk about uh, people who are living in poverty, people who are homeless, right? People who are addicted, people who are pushed out of the general norm of what is acceptable. But especially, I think, in this case, people who are unacceptable to religious people, that's who the Pharisees would have had in mind. And these people would be social outcasts. Social outcasts. Maybe you're here with us today, and, and, and that's kind of the narrative of your own life. I'm a social outcast. I've been pushed out. If that's who you are, you know what it feels like to not have a place Where you can belong. You know what it feels like to be forced out by a group of people. And what Jesus does in radically accepting people is is he's saying to you, friend, he's saying to all of us, he's saying, you have a place with me. You belong with me, Jesus is saying. You have a place at the table. Come and eat, And the Pharisees are all bent out of shape about that. And they're saying, these people, they're they're unclean. Jesus, you'll get their sin filth on you. You can't do that. You can't bring those people to your table. And Jesus, in true Jesus fashion, rebukes them. you got to love this. But when he heard it, he said, those who are well have no need of a physician but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Jesus says, of course I'm eating with tax collectors and sinners. They're the ones who need me the most. In fact, underlying that, the the implication of what Jesus just said is, is basically saying they're the ones who are ready to accept their diagnosis. They have a place at the table you might say, well, who are the righteous then? The righteous in this case are the Pharisees. And, and I think Jesus is doing this in a bit of an ironic way, in a bit of an underhanded way. I think Jesus is kind of saying, you guys are so righteous, like wink, 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 wink at, at the Pharisees, right? And on the other hand, though, I think this is a very direct rebuke. He's saying, you have no place with me until you can accept the diagnosis. We can look back to uh, earlier in chapter 5 and verse 20. Jesus says, for I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Jesus is saying their standards, which are higher than anyone could have ever imagined, are not actually good enough which would have just sounded crazy, outlandish to anyone who heard him. The Pharisees, I said, like I said earlier, they're the upper echelon of humanity. No one could be more righteous than them, everyone thought. But Jesus constantly calls into question the kind of righteousness that they had. In other words, their lives didn't please God. Just like we talked about earlier, they did not love God and love people. God wants more than rule followers. He wants more than people's actions. He wants the whole person. He wants our wholehearted devotion. And more than that, his heart is for tax collectors and sinners. Jesus says this when he, when he says, for I desire mercy and not sacrifice. You might wonder, well, what is that what does that even mean? Let's go back to that verse. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. What does that mean? Here, Jesus quotes an Old Testament prophecy from Hosea 6:6. 6, 6. And in the context, the word sacrifice, if you want to think of it in its simplest way, it's just religious observance. So Jews had a whole sacrificial system, and in order to keep it upheld, they had to, they had to observe all of the rules of that religious system. So you might say, well, God, God is saying, don't, I don't want sacrifice. Why would God say that? Did, did he not want his people to observe his commands? I'd say if he, if he didn't, he sure had a real strange way of showing it, right? <laughs> because he, he made sure that they got the instructions, that they followed them, that those who didn't follow them experienced his judgment. I mean, he seems to really want people to keep up his sacrifices, So that's not what it means that he doesn't desire sacrifice. What did he mean? Sacrifice is meant to be an expression of a devoted heart. And more importantly, it's meant to be a reflection of God's devoted heart. He is so devoted to us, he wants us to show that back to him in our sacrificial living. But when we do something as nothing more than just strict religious observance, then it's merely an outer righteousness. It's merely a Pharisee sort of righteousness. Whereas mercy, mercy is wholehearted devotion. It's a reflection of God's love, of God's compassion, of God's kindness. And it's much deeper than just that outer external righteousness. Mercy comes from an inner righteousness, a true righteousness. See, God wanted their religious observance to be a reflection of his heart. And how that connects to what Jesus was trying to get across in what makes, uh, sorry, this is how that connects to what Jesus was trying to get across in what makes a person well. What makes a person well is not A superficial righteousness, but a heart that has been transformed. It's a heart that's been healed from our sin sickness. And here's an important point. So many of us we read stories like this one and we walk away and we we think the takeaway is Jesus hung out with outcasts, right? Have, Have you ever heard this kind of a story and just think that? You just walk, yeah. Jesus, he was hanging out with all the outcasts which is absolutely true. But here's what we often miss if that's all that we take away from this story. These outcasts were transformed in his presence. They didn't stay the same. Matthew, we know, didn't stay the same. And that is what is so so attractive about Jesus. Think about this. Can you imagine... If all that Jesus did was hang around with outcasts, what kind of meaninglessness would that have to it? What kind of crummy doctor would gather a group around them just enough to diagnose their problems? No one would follow them, but the one who can diagnose and heal, now that's a great physician. That. Is someone worth following? And so I want to close by showing two pitfalls that we can often uh, take away from stories like this, two ways that we can get this wrong, and then I'm going to contrast that with the third way, which is the way of King Jesus, the way of the upside-down kingdom. So here's the first way that we can get this wrong. Accepting sinners means affirming sinners. And this feels loving, doesn't it? I mean, man, we, we kind of see acceptance and affirmation as being the same. If you don't accept me, then you don't affirm me. If you don't affirm me, you don't accept me. And yet it's clear in the way that Jesus' ministry uh, looks that, that these are two different things. And so we can't create a false dichotomy here. We can't say that these two things Uh, that you can't accept someone without also affirming them. It's not wrong to say that living a certain way is wrong. In fact, to deny God's judgment of immoral behaviors is actually itself wrong. And so to see other people as sinners, it's a perfectly capable or acceptable thing in the eyes of God. It's how God sees us. And so Jesus is not saying, you know, it's bad to behave righteously. It's bad to obey God's commands. He's not saying that he wants sinners to just come hang out with him and not change. He's not saying he affirms sin simply because he accepts sinners. In fact, to deny someone's sin-sick diagnosis is to deny them the healing that they so desperately need. And so it's not unloving to accept someone and invite them to change. And so this statement is one way that we can get a story like this wrong. The second one is the opposite. Accepting sinners means keeping them out until they repent. This is the attitude of the Pharisees. This is all about sacrifice and not mercy. Do the right things without the right heart. This comes from that underlying belief, in the context of the church anyway, this comes from an underlying belief that we as the community of Christ, we're like a spiritual quarantine. Can I use that word quarantine now? Has it been long enough? You guys like, oh, oh, I can't hear that word. (laughs) No, sorry. Um, I don't want you to miss what I'm actually saying here. We we make the mistake of seeing the community of Christ as a spiritual quarantine, right? And I think it's helpful to use that word because it actually exposes the fault that the Pharisees had, their self-righteousness. It was cloaked in a desire to keep away all possible sources of moral and spiritual infection. Keep all those bad guys out. Keep all that sin off of us. You might say, well, why is it then that some people see the church that way? Why, why do we look at the church that way? Well, there are some parts of Scripture that make it seem like that's the right way to see it. I'm just going to read you one. It's not the shortest passage, but, but I think it, it'll make, it, uh, make sense to you. Here's, here's one example. There are many that I could give. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you. As is proper among saints, saints are not guys with special hats, they're all Christians. Let there be no filthiness or foolish talk or crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience." Therefore, do not become partners with them, for at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them, for it is shameful to even speak of the things that they do in secret. It's no wonder that people see the church as a spiritual quarantine. I mean, Paul says here in verse 12 to not even speak of certain things that people would do in secret, of of sins. And there is something good about keeping the community of Christ morally pure. Absolutely. That's why Paul wrote this. That's why God inspired him to write this. That's why we have this in our Bibles But where this can go awry is when Christians begin to forget who we are in relation to who we were. Our identity determines our activity. And we've gone from being, as Paul said here, children of darkness, to now we're children of light. We've gone from being sinners to being saints. We've gone from being sin sick to being healed. And so we should live differently because we've been transformed. Absolutely. But having hearts that are transformed includes remembering who we were and having mercy on those who have yet to be healed. It includes having that radical reception that Jesus gave to us, that Jesus gives to us. And so both of these two approaches that I've listed so far are wrong. What then is right? We could ask the question, what would Jesus do, right, and get a bracelet, right? Um, it is actually a pretty good question, I guess, right? There's a reason why those bracelets became popular. But what, what is it that Jesus did with tax collectors and sinners? here's what I think he did. Here's here's what I think we see here. Upside down King Jesus, this this is the right pathway forward. Accepting sinners means healing sinners. See, Jesus is the great physician who came to heal people of our sin sickness. And in so doing, he took our filth He took our sin upon himself. As we heard earlier in our service, I think it was a coincidence that Nick ended up picking that verse because I ended up coming to it myself as well. 1 Peter 2.24 says, He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, on the cross, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. Friends, by his wounds, you have been healed. The church is a home for sick sinners. We don't exist to keep outcasts out, but to bring outcasts in. If you are an outcast with us here today, if you're watching this online, you are welcome here. We want you here. We want you to know that you belong. We want to introduce you to Jesus so that you can find healing. For those of you who are part of Trinity and this family that we have here, I want to share with you the thing that God laid on my heart for us this week. Just like the Pharisees were uncomfortable with the lavishness of Jesus' mercy, we should also, as a community, always be pushing ourselves to places that we are not comfortable If we are ever going to err, let us err on the side of mercy. All sinners welcome. All sinners are invited to become saints. Not doing what the church often does in placing people in different categories, the the. the uh, the people who are doing sacrifice, like like the, the people, let me say that again, the people who are sinning in certain ways, God demands a sacrifice, and the people who are sinning in other ways, the, the, He just accepts mercy. I'll give you an example. See these people in different categories, like, you know, the people who are committing sexual sin, now they need to really get their act together before they come to Jesus. Whereas these people over here, you know, they're just overeating. They can get mercy. They don't need to sacrifice. You get what I mean? We, we cannot become the kind of community that starts creating these, um, these categories of sin, but rather welcomes all sinners into the community of Christ to be healed, to be changed, to be transformed. And so let's not err on the other side either, because the only way to do something about sin is to accept the diagnosis and come to the great physician for treatment. And as I said earlier, his treatment is 100% effective. So much so that he not only saves us, but he does transform us to the point where our spiritual biology changes, right? We go from sinners to saints, and the Spirit takes up residence in our bodies, acting like our spiritual immune system, finding all those places where sin lurks in our lives and in our bodies and and removing it. And so no matter where you're at with following Jesus, there are two things that every single one of us is invited to today. The first is acknowledge you are not well, and the second is acknowledge that Jesus can make you well big idea, we are sin sick, but we find healing in the great physician. I want to give you guys two community group uh, steps, I guess. One's a question, the other one isn't. Uh, the first one is, where do you lean most? Option one, two, or three, and when, I'm, when I say that, I'm referring to these uh, two pitfalls and the way of, of Jesus. How does this story challenge or encourage you more toward the heart of God? And then also want to make sure that our community groups are spending some time, reserving some time to spend in the Acts prayer model together as we want to grow in our prayer lives and in our prayer time with one another. I'm going to pray and we'll respond to God together now. Father, we thank you for sending Jesus as the great physician. Jesus, I want to acknowledge for myself and on behalf of everyone here, God, we are not well. We need you to come and heal us. We need you to come and, and, and change us. So, Jesus, would you do that? We thank you so much for your welcome, your your reception, your your hospitality, your acceptance. God, we pray that as a community we would look more and more and more like you in that radical acceptance. And at the same time, Jesus, we pray that you would transform us to also look more like you and change us, God, we pray. For those here who are outsiders, who are outcasts, who who don't feel like they have a place at the table, God, I pray that, Holy Spirit, right now, you would do a work in their heart and in their life that they might recognize that you are inviting them and that they might come and eat. In Jesus' name, amen.
0: You've been listening to audio from Trinity West Seattle. For more information about our services or to connect with us, visit our website, www.trinityws.com. Thanks for listening.